This morning our sermon comes once again from Isaiah chapter 6. This morning it will be verses 8 through 13. I'll invite you to open up your, your uh, copy of God's Word and read along with me this morning. This is God's good and kind word to you from Isaiah 6, starting at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word today. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for giving us this word. Lord, I thank you for your servant Isaiah, who was willing to go whenever he saw your glory. Lord, I pray that we too would see your glory from your word today, and we would understand your holiness and all that you have done to make a way for us to you. Lord, help us have hearts that desire to see your glory, and then to go and share that glory with others. We pray these things in Christ's name. In my yard, currently, I have a few tree stumps. Now these stumps vary in sizes. One of them in my front yard is from a really old oak tree that was taken down just a few years after Hurricane Katrina. It is a massive trunk. And I'm proud to say that it is mostly gone. Now, in my backyard, I have two stumps that remain from trees that were cut down about three years ago. They are smaller in size, and I am currently attempting to get rid of them. One of the things that I've learned in all my attempts to maintain my yard and to get rid of stumps in my yard is that God has made trees in such a way that to actually kill them and get rid of them especially once they are full-grown trees, requires a lot of work. You can cut a tree down at its trunk, but if you don't also go down to its roots and kill the roots in a matter of months, that tree will begin to grow again, especially in our southeast Louisiana heat and humidity. And if you leave it alone for some time, eventually... It will grow as large as it was when you first cut it down. In our passage today, the Lord uses a visual picture of a remaining stump as an illustration for what will remain of Israel after he pours his wrath out on them. 
Now we left off this amazing chapter last week at verse 7. And we are picking up the verses that remain. Verses 8 through 13. Now if you study the structure of this entire chapter, you will find that it forms what's called a chiasm. And if you listen to me teach and preach at all, uh, you'll know that I bring up this word a lot. I'll invite you to look it up and to study it more. Basically, a chiasm is a unique literary structure that is found all over the Bible. And I don't have to go a lot of time to go into the detail of it here, but essentially chiasms help us to discover what a, the main point of a passage is. And the main point of this chapter, of this passage, is verse 8. It is the middle section of the passage. It's the calling and the commissioning of Isaiah to the work of a prophet. And so today in these verses, we're going to see Isaiah's calling first in, in verse 8, the main point. Secondly, we're going to see Isaiah's challenge in verses 9 and 10. And then finally, we're going to see Isaiah's confidence in verses 11 through 13. So let's begin with the main point, verse 8, Isaiah's calling. This is, again, the whole focus of chapter 6. That isn't to say that what comes before or after isn't or is less important, but it is to say that that Isaiah is is wanting us to get and he, and see his calling uh, especially here. Isaiah is meeting the Lord of hosts. He's seeing his holiness. And and all of that is what gets us to this point in verse 8. All of that that comes before actually explains to us the message that he is going to then go and proclaim. And Isaiah is telling us in this chapter all of the circumstances surrounding his calling. Isaiah has come into the presence of the Lord of hosts and has all of the sudden become aware of two things. Yahweh's holiness and Isaiah's own lack of holiness. But then he receives from the holy God what he truly needs, the removal of his guilt and the payment for his sin. Isaiah has then now been made clean. He's been remade by the work of God for him. And after all of that, we see here in verse 8, the Lord asks a question. This is what he says. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? In other words, who is going to go and tell my people about me? Who's going to go and explain my holiness to them? Explain my character and who I am to them? How exciting it must have been for Isaiah. He now has the opportunity to offer himself to the Lord without question or hesitation. He sees the Lord, he knows the Lord now, and he says, I will serve you. But as exciting as that is, it's also a very sad thing. Yahweh is sending Isaiah on a mission to spread his message because his very own people do not know him. Judah, as we have seen, has no knowledge of the Lord. And it's not because of a lack of contact with God. 
God had saved them. He had given them his very word. He had invited this nation, this one nation, as opposed to all the others, to know the inner workings of the mind of God. He gave them his law. He gave them access to his presence in and through the tabernacle and the holy of holies. No other nation had this kind of access to God. No other people and no other individuals could approach God in this way. But now, after all that God had done for them, after only a few hundred years, they had forgotten Yahweh. They, were, they had despised His love. They had spurned His affections. And all of it, ultimately, because they did not make use of the means that God had given to them so that they might know Him. They neglected the Word, and the temple. So, what does Isaiah's calling teach us about Yahweh and ourselves? We learn at least three important things. First of all, it's this. Yahweh, God, wants to be known. A few weeks ago, I played hide-and-seek with Alexander. We play hide-and-seek all the time. It's one of his favorite games. But this time was special because for the first time, he hid so well that I could not find him. Ten minutes into the game, I started to get really worried. I, I didn't know where he was. We tend to think that God created the world and then began a cosmic game of hide and seek. And the thing is, he's not a five-year-old hiding from us. We think that he is really, really good at hiding and disguising himself from us. But here's the thing, and the scriptures teach us this, that isn't the case. God wants to be known. He is not hiding himself from us. Now second, because he isn't hiding from us and wants to be known, we need to understand that God has actually made a way for us to find him. And that way isn't found in some secret and obscure treasure map or in a complicated, coded message. No, God has provided the way for His creation to know Him in simple and ordinary ways. And that leads us to the third thing. God has made Himself known generally through creations, through creation, and you can see that in Romans chapter 1 which declares to us that all people made in the image of God ultimately know who God is through creation. But more specifically, it's through His Word and the preaching and teaching of His Word that God makes Himself known. He has given His Word to the world and has especially gifted some with the ability to teach and preach that Word. And I don't only mean those that are highly trained to do that work of preaching and teaching. You and I both know that the amount of training a person have, has doesn't automatically mean anything about their ability or the truth of what they, truthfulness of what they say. It can help, and I'm thankful for my seminary training, but sometimes a lot of training can hurt. 
No, the point isn't that pe that there are some and only some that can do it. The point is that God has called some people, seminary trained or not, to preach and teach His Word as the ordinary means to know Him. So Isaiah receives this calling, and God says, Who is going to go? And Isaiah says, I will go. Because I've met you, Lord, I will go. But that leads us to the second thing here, that, that Isaiah now has a challenge before him. And we see this in verses 9 through 11, this message that he has to go uh, and, and share. Now Isaiah has gone and done it. He has agreed to do something before knowing what that something is. A few weeks ago, I read an article by a journalist about the time that he met the great Michael Jordan. But when he met him, he wasn't a journalist yet. He was a goofy 12-year-old boy who barely knew how to play basketball, who just happened to be at a Michael Jordan basketball camp in the suburbs of Chicago in 1988 or 89. Now, the way that those camps worked uh, and still work is that the, the celebrity who was hosting or whoever it's named after uh, this case, it was Michael Jordan, would show up for a bit to the camp, only for a very short amount of time. They would do a demonstration, and they would leave, collecting a big check on the way out. At this camp, Michael Jordan showed up for his time. He stood up, he gave a little speech, introduced himself. Everyone was excited to see him, and then he did something special. He asked for a volunteer. And this 12-year-old boy was so mesmerized by Michael Jordan that he didn't hear the question. All he saw were the hundreds of other boys shooting their hand in the air, and so he put his hand in the air too. And lo and behold, Jordan called this boy out in order to play, basically, a quick pickup game in front of everyone else. And through this time... Uh, Michael Jordan basically was daring this boy to shoot over him, was daring this boy to try to guard him, and he did all of these things because Jordan is famously competitive, and ultimately he dunked all over this kid, and he just demolished him. This boy was shown up by Michael Jordan because he didn't hear the question. He didn't know what he was answering to. He didn't know what he was getting himself into. Well, so the Lord asks Isaiah, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. But he doesn't even know what he's going to do yet. So at this point, Yahweh tells him, go and say to these people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Do you hear the note of sarcasm in there? Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Isaiah is told to remind the Judeans that they are sinners, but they are so trapped in their sin that they will not, and indeed cannot, turn. There's a joke surrounding the graduates from the seminary that I attended. And the joke is this. 
that my seminary is good at training ministers for Scottish revivals. Let me explain this joke to you. A Scottish revival is when a new pastor shows up to a church and the church loses half its membership the following week. Now, all the guys that I went to seminary with had an idea about what a really successful ministry looks like. And it wasn't that we were going to be going out and leading Scottish revivals, driving half of our congregations away for whatever reason. We all idealized the work of the ministry. Now, we understood conceptually that the ideal was just that, an ideal and not reality. But none of us were told, at least that I can remember, that our ministry, if we did our jobs well, would be marked by miserable failure. But notice that's precisely what Isaiah is being told. Isaiah is going to be sent into the world of God's people to proclaim a message that will be hated, that will turn people away from the Lord, and will ultimately end with his martyrdom. I dare say that if any of us knew we were going into a pastorate that would, where that would be the result, we likely would not take that job and would try to find something else to do. But the reality is that though the reality is though that preaching to the church sometimes means preaching to people who do not get the message and who will never get the message. It is a reality in life in the church that not all the members of the church will receive the saving message that is offered to them. It's a reality that sometimes and here's what should be really terrifying. It's a message that sometimes preachers may not even get as they are proclaiming that message. Is this describing you as a church member? Here you are in the church, hearing the message. Perhaps you're hearing the, the saving message of Jesus Christ week after week. This good news that's offered to you, salvation from your sin through Jesus Christ. Well, what is your response? Do you hear it but not understand it? Is your heart dull to it? Look, people, we need to understand God is holy. And we are not holy. We have a problem. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to try harder? Are you going to try to do enough to make sure that maybe this isn't you? Great. Try harder. Go and try harder. But what happens when you leave here, when you turn off this message, and you forget about your commitment to try harder? Because that will absolutely happen. And you're in the exact same place that you are right now. What will you do when you're standing before God and He says that your work wasn't enough? What then? And that's Isaiah's challenge. How does He get a people who do not care and cannot care to hear this message? What is He to do? Well, what are we to do with that?
Lastly, we see Isaiah's confidence. We see that in verses 11 through 13, but we have to wait a little bit to see it. After Yahweh says, you know, I, I want you to go and proclaim this harsh and hard message, Isaiah understandably asks a question. Verse 11, he says, How long, O Lord? How long am I going to have to spread this message and do this job? And the Lord answers, essentially saying, You are to do this, Isaiah, until everything is in ruin. And he uses here in these verses three graphic pictures to illustrate the extent of the ruin that he's talking about. He says, Until the cities lie waste. That's the first one. Until the houses are without people. That's number two. And the land is a desolate waste. He says, until the cities are inhabited, the houses are inhabited, and the land is uninhabitable. Isaiah is going to proclaim this message until the land ultimately returns to what it was like at creation. Remember Genesis 1 when God said, that the world was formless and without void. Isaiah is to proclaim this message until the land returns to being formless and void. And even more, the Lord goes on and he says that he's going to remove his people far away from this land, foreshadowing and promising them exile. The people of the, people of the land, the people of the promised land, the promised people of the promised land will be exiled from that land because of their sin. And Isaiah has to continually say this message until all of these things take place. And then, that's verses 11 and 12, and then verse 13, he continues with this. He gives another picture of judgment when he says this. Though a tenth Remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. Even though a tenth of the people remain in the land after there's judgment, he is saying essentially, you know, once again, those people are going to be subject to, uh, you know, burning like you would try to burn a stump after it's been, after the tree has been taken down. This is once again a terrible message of judgment. But then I want you to notice something, and my translation makes this a little bit easier to see. We get the end of the, the final quotation mark here in verse 13, after the end of the word felled, and then Isaiah does something interesting. I want you to notice these last few words of verse 13. After the Lord finishes speaking, Isaiah provides for us an interpretive clue for what the Lord has just said. And in giving us this interpretive clue, Isaiah hints at something besides judgment that's coming. The Lord has called him to proclaim a terrible message of judgment for a very long time. And all of it would seem like doom and gloom. But then he says, the holy seed is its stump. In the original Hebrew, this is just three little words. It's something so simple and yet very 
profound. What's so profound about it? Isaiah is giving a hint to the hope that is there for Judah in Israel. And the hope isn't that God is going to turn away his wrath in this moment, that he's going to withhold his judgment. No, the real hope is that a seed is going to come from all of this. The picture is one of a tree that is growing out of a stump. No matter what happens in judgment, the tree is not going to be destroyed, and the tree will rise again. And Isaiah is mixing his metaphors. He's using the image of a tree stump, but also another agricultural image of a seed. And we might suspect, well, he's just making things up as he goes along, but he's not doing that. What he is doing is he's explaining to us how we need to read and understand the scriptures and to see how all of the scriptures fit together. There is a principle of interpretation that says this, scripture interprets scripture. And so the scriptures enlighten other scriptures for us. So Isaiah is telling us we need to go back and we need to trace this seed throughout the scriptures. Let me do that briefly for us. The first mention of the seed is in Genesis 3.15. And there it is the seed of the woman. In that passage in Genesis 3.15 we discover that a male child will come from the woman and will eventually crush the head of the serpent who deceived Eve. And then 47 other times, the book of Genesis uses this word seed. It's a picture of generation, of beginnings. No wonder it uses that word so often. It's, and it uses this word seed to illustrate and to remind that the seed of the woman is coming to save the children of Eve. She is, after all, as Adam called her, the mother of the living. Isaiah tells us his confidence in these few little words. He is confident that though the Lord is coming in judgment, his promises and Genesis 3 are still in place. And from the desolation of the land and all the things that are going to come upon Judah, the seed is going to come after those things. There is hope because Isaiah knows and is confident that, I, that Yahweh has a plan and Yahweh will fulfill that let me conclude in this way. I do not enjoy having to preach on these topics. Sin and the following judgment because of sin are harsh topics. I understand that. And sometimes I ask the question that Isaiah asks, how long, O oh Lord, will I have to preach on this stuff? Sometimes I, I confess that I would like to be a happy preacher that only shares positive things and gets to smile all the time and tells you you're great and wonderful and you have no problems and God loves you just how you are. But 
that's not what the scriptures say. That's not what the scriptures say about me individually. That's not what the scriptures say about you as well. No, I have to be a preacher that is called to talk about our sin and the judgment that follows. The scriptures give me the same answer that God gave to Isaiah. How long until it's all finished? The reality is, is that for the time being, sin isn't going away. And we need a constant reminder that God is holy and we are not. But we also need the constant reminder of what Isaiah saw as a seed. We see it as a full tree. The seed has come. The seed has blossomed and bloomed. Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, has finished the work. The plan has been accomplished. And the stump remains, and it will never be destroyed. That's true. Who will go and proclaim this message of hope to the dying world around us? Who is going to tell your family members? Who's going to tell your children about this hope? I hope you say along with Isaiah, send me, here I am. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this message today. We pray that you would Help us to be a people who say with courage and with conviction, Here I am. Send me, Father. Help us to do this not because of our goodness, but because of the blood-bought goodness of Jesus Christ, His righteousness given to us. Help us to encourage, share the good news of Jesus Christ with all that we meet in both word and in deed, but especially in word. We pray these things in Christ's name.